not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. So while it's good to talk about serious things, it's just as important and just as American to have some fun. Now, let's have some fun. Alrighty, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Leaning Middle. I'm Eric. And I'm Brian. And today we're going to take a look at something that's been requested by a handful of listeners, and that is, what does Joe Biden actually stand for versus what is it perceived that he stands for? I know now that Biden's been declared the winner, I've seen uh, reports from Reuters saying about 80% of the country, including Republicans, have accepted that outcome. It now leads into the next big question is, will Joe Biden be as progressive and even socialist leaning as some people like to project, or will he ultimately be a lot more of the same? And I think it would, you say some people would project, I would say it's about 71 million people uh, project. (laughs) It's fun to have the exact numbers, you know? (laughs) Um, You know, when I talk to people about this particular subject and, and as you know, everybody knows that I'm kind of into, into the political side of everything. And as they talk to me about the situation, whether they voted for or against Joe Biden, I get a lot of the same comments. Well, we're really going to have to see where he really comes down on these these uh, issues versus what he ran on. And a lot of people, if you're on the right side, a lot of people are really kind of doing well. He's going to hit you up with a 44% tax, uh, capital gains tax increase, or mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. going to take a socialist and, and he's going to um, provide the, the medical care for everyone. And, and they take these very liberal strong points. And, you know, a lot of the other conversation is um, he's just a puppet. And this is really Bernie's party. And I'm, I keep kind of laughing yeah. about that one, but uh and people refer to the manifesto of Bernie and and uh, how he came out and backed um, Biden. And, and though he did Biden a favor by coming out and backing him, I don't think he did him a favor by coming out and saying that a lot of my views are now mainstream Democratic views. Mm-hmm. And I think that really spurred this conversation in general because that really gave the right – um, some some talking power. So as we're moving down this path and trying to get people to lean more to the middle, what uh, what does that really mean? And and is Joe is Joe going to be a very liberal or is he going to be a little bit more center left? I think what we've heard a lot of people um, refer to as in the uh, social media sphere on both sides is that Joe Biden is technically running on the most progressive policy in American history. And that is either very appealing or absolutely terrifying, depending where you stand on the political spectrum. But I think the important thing to realize is that's a very low bar to actually set for America. Um, especially when you kind of look at the world scale. Um, I'm sorry, you look at the political spectrum from the world scale is America's values of what constitutes left versus right is severely skewed to the right itself. So 
in terms of actual progressive policies, there's nothing too aggressive in Joe's plan that should really worry a lot of people outside of those tax increases that we've kind of seen and talked about. So that's the biggest thing on my end is even looking at, um, you know, some of the concerns outside of the tax brackets, such as um, climate change and kind of what's going to be done in order to combat that, or is he going to endorse the Green New Deal very, like fully letter to letter and everything along those lines. And when you really do kind of take a pause and take a look at what Joe Biden's environmental policy is, um, it's, it's nothing insane. It's nothing overly aggressive. It's actually in line with what a lot of the major oil companies have kind of, you know, they've seen the writing on the walls. Shell, Exxon, Mobil, they all know that this is where things are trending. It's its not sustainable. We're also going to run out of it, and it's eventually going to become more expensive to produce oil than uh, actually just use renewable energy. So that's what doesn't worry me too much as somebody who's obviously leaning middle, if not on the left side. But um, it, it's going to – the other thing everybody kind of needs to remember is it's going to be entirely dependent upon the outcome of the races in Georgia too, is Joe Biden with a Republican-held Senate who will, if history shows us anything, will likely lose the House in 2022. Um, not much progressive ideology is going to be taking place. <laughs> um, not yeah. even a lot of what took place under Trump will be able to be undone. So – that is the kind of what I would tell everybody who's very worried about Biden's potential progressive streak is we're we're a couple months away from really realizing what the impact of that might be. So do you think he's going to be more um, left center? Yes. Or do you think he's going to see? I, I think he is, too. I think he had to run um, that progressive uh, style. Mm -hmm. Or in order to get the Bernie crowd to come over to him. And, you know, whether that's right or wrong, uh, it's still a very powerful um, group to have backing you. And I don't think he did it out of bad faith either, to be perfectly honest. is I don't think anything in his plan that he's appealing to those more progressive voters with is something that he doesn't want to see accomplished at some point. But the realities of the presidency are just four years, even eight years, especially with, you know, a divided house in Congress. It, it's it's very hard to make like really intense change that's like long lasting. Yeah. And I think Biden pictures himself very much in, this, in a similar situation as to FDR, you know, well, a nation in, in total crisis. And how do we rebuild it? And, you know, everybody who wants to say socialist tendencies are dangerous for America tend to forget about the New Deal and what that did for the country, even our, if arguments can be made against its overall recovery impact. Well, and, and keep in mind, and, and I had this conversation uh, not too long ago, and it kind of made sense. I just kind of, in the middle of conversation, I brought it up, and then it kind of made sense to me as well, was, you know, I think Joe probably has tendencies to lean a little bit further left, a little mm -hmm. bit more progressive, but I think that was before COVID or yes. as, as my wife says now, that was BC yeah. um, be, before I had COVID. Um, but I think once COVID really hit here, starting in that March timeframe, I think if you go back and you really pay attention to what his pitch was or what his um, tone was, I think it changed a lot. And 
we have to remind ourselves that we are still in the middle of a global pandemic and the impact that that, (laughs) yeah and it's getting worse but the impact of that global pandemic has been devastating and it will continue to be devastating so i think what he started running on versus what the government or what the nation's needs are at this time are two different things and i think he did a good job of turning directions and adapting to the the needs of the country and i i think that's where trump stumbled a little bit honestly is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he he never turned and addressed uh the situation and the so one thing I, oh go ahead oh well i was just gonna say i think that joe is going to lean a little bit more progressive but not now, not not in the next four years. The next four years is going to be a little bit more center left because that's what the country is going to need to get back to where it was when he first originally launched his campaign. Now, here's the devil's advocate to that entire um, idea, which I like exploring too. And I'm still very up in the air of which would work best because it is 2020. Um, but if you look at Joe's, you know, official website, he only has three short sentences that sum up his plan to combat COVID um, from the health perspective, not not the economic recovery. But it's simply listen to science, ensure public health decisions are informed by public health professionals, restore trust, transparency, common purpose and accountability to our government. So. And that's one of two things. It's a, I think, almost a dig at the Trump administration saying this is, yeah, you only need three bullet points to really make this work and you're still screwing <laughs> it up. And then at the other side, it is very vague, which is if we've learned anything over the last uh, four years, vagueness gives way to conspiratorial thought. So that is where a lot of worries coming from with the mask mandates and the economic shutdowns and just going to close down the country. When in reality, it's kind of Joe's in this uh, interesting position and kind of this vision is entirely dependent on um, both Senate races in Georgia going to the Democrats, which is unlikely but possible. So it's the idea that we're faced with a situation, several crises, um, specifically COVID and uh, the economy and then the climate crisis. So what Joe's plan really does is nail down the ability to create new manufacturing jobs, um, attract, you know, more businesses to set up shop in the Midwest and rural parts of the country to bring in green energy manufacturing jobs. And then um, have that be kind of the focus of the economic recovery of COVID, where so many people are out of work now. All of a sudden, we have this opportunity where we could inject a bunch of money from the government through Joe Biden's tax plan to help companies open up in, you know, these towns, these old coal mining towns or farming regions that are uh, going through droughts and stuff or oil fields like, you know, we're in West Texas. So areas like Seminole that are or Hobbs, New Mexico, that are entirely dependent upon the oil industry is why not try to pair the recovery from the pandemic with opening up, you know, new manufacturing jobs or even government funded education programs for people to learn these trades or start to transition out of oil. So it's interesting that, yes, he very well could take the more center view and play it safe and kind of just do the status quo. Or he could take the FDR perspective, which is we're in a 
complete depression. Our jobless rate is the lowest, is the highest it's been in quite a while. Why not use this as the perfect time to step in with a new agenda of how, of what our economy looks like? You know, we're losing manufacturing jobs and basic assembly jobs, but we all of a sudden have this major issue in climate change. We need all of this work and money to go into solving it. And it, the answer to the economic crisis could be behind that. Obviously, you know, we're giving a five minute summary of this when it's very, very intricate, how that is really plans on playing out. But I'm very curious to see if he tries to tie in very progressive ideas with basic center left recovery um, methods of the economy. So for okay and i i really i agree with what you're saying there um one of the questions that that you kind of touched on that i really want to dive a little bit deeper down in because this seems to be the subject that starts the conversation every single time taxes yeah how progressive is he going to be with the taxes really i think it's it's funny, you know, taxes are obviously a buzzword and they're terrifying. But if you look back at American history, the and this is what we're talking about is the top marginal tax rates. So whether you would like to believe it or not, if you earn under $400,000, your tax bracket is not going to be affected under the Biden presidency. Um, well, but now let me throw in let me let me take the right approach on here. Uh, and that is if he repeals any of Trump's tax breaks, is that going to affect people under the $400,000 mark? No, and I always find that funny when that argument's made because it kind of shows, I think, um, in a big way, uh, almost a failure of our public education system in terms of how the government really works. But you don't have to like strike down the entirety of a bill. Like we're actually seeing that take place as we record this with the Supreme court and the affordable care act is like aspects of bills can be cut out. And what Biden has promised to do is not to take away any of the tax breaks that were included for families earning uh, 400 under $400,000 from the marriage joint income filing. Um, and that's just, kind of the truth of the matter is yes i mean can politicians be trusted i i I guess that's you know impossible to say until the the bill's passed but as of right now there's no indication that he's going to strike down any of these um tax bills or tax cuts in a way that would affect people under four hundred thousand dollars that's been kind of one of their main campaign messages coming into the coming into the end of the uh the campaign was hey you know if this isn't real Yeah, well, if that's been one of the campaign messages, then why are there so many people that are having the opposite understanding of the situation? Is it that taxes are that complex or is it that good of a job on the the right attacking uh, and twisting what he's saying? The one thing that I have to give the Trump organization very good credit for, even if it's perceptibly a negative thing, is taking very complex issues such as like tax brackets. Well, I shouldn't even say complex, but issues that require more knowledge than a tweet, you know, and they're able to condense these things down into the form of a tweet that just says, Joe Biden's going to raise the tax rate to 44%. When in reality, if you look at American history, I mean, the top marginal tax rate for, again, joint income filing 
is 70%, like in the 70s, obviously, when Reagan took office in the, what what year did he take office? Do you know off the top of your head? Uh, I don't, not off the top of my head. Let's see. Reagan took office. We have the technology. <laughs> so uh, 1981. So obviously in 1982, the tax rate dropped from 70 to 50. And then over the years, it just kind of continued to steadily drop further and further and further until we're now at a point of it being 39.6%. And again, it's marginal tax rates. So that doesn't mean the entirety of somebody's income is taxed by 39.6%, but it's the amount over 450000 that would be taxed at that rate. So right. it isn't even that much money unless you are talking about millions and millions of dollars at which point yes it is a very aggressive tax bracket but it's also not as aggressive as what we've seen as short enough ago as like eight to ten years and i think a lot of arguments can be made that trickle down economics especially during the time of a pandemic where we've seen the top 10 richest people in the country accumulate a massive amount of wealth while the rest of the population has decreased in wealth substantially, it kind of shows that it's just not, you know, it's, it's a situation where trickle the laws of, or the suspected laws of trickle down economics just aren't working anymore. It's actually just going up and increasing the, the wealth of the 1%, which is worrisome when we have an economic recovery to worry about. Yeah, exactly. And, I, I think one of the, the questions I have, and, and I just don't, this is why I hire somebody to do my taxes because I just yeah. don't understand all the taxes, but I don't make more than 400,000 a year. I would love to, but I don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What exactly was it about Trump's tax plan that everybody loves so much? Because in the last three years, I have steadily got less back or paid more. And so I'm, I'm actually doing worse in the tax, in um, the tax uh, situation, I guess I I lost Mm -hmm. the word I was trying to say, but I'm doing worse in the tax area than I was several years ago. So how is Joe going to bring us back to a point where I'm back to where I was or is is that just gone like i I understand that we want to repeal some of the taxes but leave some of the taxes how how do they go in and and balance that i think the biggest um conversation and it's one where like we said a lot of the liberal um and progressive ideals are coming from is just actually giving a reasonable tax bracket on you know the top earners in our economy Um, You know, we've shown that, you know, regardless of how you felt about Reagan, um, you know, where we were in the 1980s and where we are today is entirely different. And I bring up Reagan since he was the first person to really start to champion lowering lowering that top um, marginal tax bracket down, you know, significantly from what it was by almost 20 points. So obviously there was that initial boom. And then over the last 30 years or so, we've seen um, specifically in technology that just get really skewed and kind of the advancements that we're working towards and what the world's actually looking for in terms of production has changed drastically, which has allowed 
you know, the ultra wealthy to kind of create this, this amount of net worth that is, you know, just unbelievable. So right. it also makes things really, really difficult of funding public work projects, you know, creating the ability to just do basic things like fix our infrastructure, which is crumbling. And that's another area where Biden said, you know, he can create good government jobs, fixing our roadways and our bridges and all of these other things that need care immediately, which is another kind of FDR idea. But it just it isn't it's just not going to affect much of the population. And what it does affect is it's not even, you know, again, people earning over four hundred thousand dollars aren't going to see an incredibly insane aggressive tax increase you know it's not going to ruin them by any means by any means and the whole argument that people say like oh well you know people like the jeff bezos and the mark zuckerbergs are going to leave america and go you know do their stuff somewhere else and uh i welcome them to try is my rebuttal to that (laughs) is even with the tax brackets were uh saying could work um there's no other place in the world where they can relocate you know the operations of their company and continue to be as successful as they are as america so it kind of is just the fact of the matter is nobody's gonna really leave (laughs) yeah well all you need is some really good accounting to to get Mm -hmm. to the point where you don't pay taxes at all so exactly there's Um, still so many loopholes you can figure it out (laughs) So moving off of taxes, uh, what about climate? How th- there's a lot of people that are concerned that he's going to go and join um, the green uh, Green New Deal and get us back into all these awful, awful um, accords that that a lot of people don't feel like we need to be in now. Uh, as someone who leans middle, I'm I'm kind of I don't want the United States to go and fund everything for everybody again like we were but at the same time um i think if you pay attention to any science uh it will definitely show you that we are in the middle if not at the peak of having to do some serious adjustments if we don't want to deplete this earth of um what it is that makes it so beautiful and so green and 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 so nice for us so what, uh, how progressive do you think he's really going to be on the climate side? I think we need to also start by considering um, how a lot of these things are skewed by the media in terms of, A, what the Paris Climate Change Accord was, how much we're actually paying for it, and then also just generally, you know, how these kind of international agreements tend to play out. Is everybody so scared that he's going to rejoin these horrible, horrible deals with Paris? And honestly, America's funding the Paris Climate uh, Accord by about $3 billion over several year periods. And we've already spent $1 billion on that that we're, we're not getting back. So ultimately, our withdrawal would save the United States $2 billion. When you really consider what the budget of the country is and the trillions of dollars that are being spent to tackle something as important as climate change on an international stage over the course of several years, $2 billion is peanuts. You know, it, it sounds yeah. disgusting to say that, but in reality, we're not, we're well, not you mean, know, paying hundreds of millions of dollars. And um, then on top of it, these international agreements, uh, 
they lack weight, you know? There's there's nothing that somebody can go in and say, like, ooh, you know, like, the United States didn't do this, this, or that, or this country didn't do this. It's It's not going to create any meaningful policy change. But what's really good about it is it's funding so much research, you know, on both the economic mm-hmm. side as well as the environmental side and the engineering side. You know, there's a ton of research coming out of that agreement that is going to help the world transition to cleaner energy or ultimately fail to do so. So it it doesn't it just doesn't seem like anything in his climate initiatives are things that everybody kind of has seen coming from the business world. And I say it again, with a Republican Senate, there's not going to be any foot in the right direction. But, um, you know, I also I understand the fears coming from West Texas. It's like there's a lot of people just in the suburbs of Lubbock that rely on oil fields for their work. And they're saying, well, you know, that's the end of that. But it's important to see that Biden's climate plan has us transitioning away from oil over the next 30 years. And even within the next several years, there isn't even anything in the plan that says that we're going to um, reduce oil by a certain factor. It just uses that vague language again, which is we're going to work to, you know, stop our dependency on natural gases. So it's just it's not as radical as it seems because there isn't hard deadlines, hard percentages, serious language. And it is will ultimately be very difficult to enforce. But I think it's it's the first step we need to take in the right direction of combating this um, this situation, whether we like it or not. It's just it's not going to get better. Yeah, no, I, I agree with with what you're saying there. Now, what about fracking? So Biden does want to ultimately see fracking be um, phased out, just like all oil products. You know, if we're trying to reach a goal of net emissions of zero by 2050, which I should note does not mean (laughs) that we're not using any sort of emissions. There's things that we can do to offset those as well. But um, fracking is part of that puzzle. But at the end of the day, we're just not in a position. We do not have the renewable infrastructure in any way in the majority of the states, a great majority, I'd say over 45 of them, in order just to stop fracking in places like Pennsylvania or Texas. It's like we need that energy. There is a demand for it that renewables cannot meet yet. And that's where I think people are really worried is, yes, eventually fracking is to be phased out under this plan. But if this plan were to be adopted, fracking would exist under the full eight-year Biden presidency maximum that he could hold office for, and it wouldn't yeah. even start to change until he is, you know, 2030. So it's, uh, it's just it, – there's not a real worry on that either. But it, yeah. is, it is something to note that, yeah, this is, this is the direction that the nation needs to move in, and it's going to mean a lot of people having to change careers or change their lives if – the left ultimately gets their way. Okay. I, I think that, you know, the fracking, you know, it, it's such a, it, it is such a topic that is so hard to have an opinion on unless you mm-hmm. are inside the, the industry itself. Um, yeah. Because I, I think a lot of people just kind of go, eh, what? I, I think there's a lot of people that don't even know what fracking is. I agree. I, I I think that uh, you know they equate it to different sectors of the the energy um, uh, department, but 
what exactly fracking does, I think, is, is a source of confusion for a lot of people. But I also think that um, when you say, I want to ban fracking, people automatically go, oh, my God, he wants to shut down the oil industry. Yeah, exactly. And, go ahead. Well, it's just fracking isn't the oil industry. You know, fracking is a type is a is a technique that's used within the oil industry where they'll go into these chasms that they've drilled with these subterranean drills and kind of get to these pockets where there's oil around it, but not necessarily flowing in the tube that they just drilled in. Also, I apologize for any petroleum engineers listening to this, my inexcusable (laughs) uh, general explanation. And they blow... um, they blow wastewater from my understanding, some, some level of chemicals, because there is some level of pollution or worry about pollution. But again, I'm no expert and it blows open these chasms and allows oil to be collected um, a lot easier. So there's two major concerns with that. I, I brought up that there is some level of pollution that takes place. And then the other side of it is destabilizing the environment, which is potentially making for landslides, earthquakes in vulnerable areas, uh, sinkholes opening up in towns and regions that are experiencing a lot of fracking, and just kind of generally things like that. It's just, you know, it's another, it's an invasive um, technique to collect oil and natural gases. So that's kind of what fracking is. But when you really pause and consider again, like we, the fact that we are fracking means that we're already starting to run out of the oil, you know, that we're desperately looking for as the larger, bigger reserves continue to kind of um, get run down over time. So it's not, it's not that banning what fracking is would change the industry, but it is a major part of it. And it's scary when when you think about it, and you know Trump touts that we are now energy self sufficient. Well, now you're talking about wanting to ban some of what builds that that in energy infrastructure. So I yeah. think that in itself scares a lot of people because we don't want to be um, held to OPEC's uh, numbers and and everything else. So um, one of the, the other ones, one of the other ones that uh, I wanted to throw out there was. The, the social justice side of everything and the criminal reform. Joe Biden has a, a really bad rap for his criminal reform that, that he really kind of pushed through earlier. And I think it was in 94, 90, the early 90s. Yeah, the crime um, bill. The crime bill. And, you know, a lot of what the situation we're into right now is a direct result of that crime bill. So I think there's a lot of people that are really concerned on this social justice direction and his track record is not great even though he talks a good game his track yeah. record isn't uh isn't all that great and and i'm afraid that um a and just to be blunt about it a 77 year old white man who has been in politics his whole life um and and has you know a nice lifestyle and, and everything mm-hmm, else mm-hmm. is out of touch with the actual needs of social injustices and the actual needs of the criminal reform or the systemic uh, racism inside our um, justice system. So yeah, yeah. How how progressive do you really feel like he's going to be on this? And and is it something that I should be concerned about? Because you know that to me that's one of the biggest knocks on Joe Biden is I just don't think he quite has the understanding 
or the uh, the track record to make me feel comfortable that there's really going to be some type of movement forward. I agree with you almost wholesale on all of that. I don't think Biden, as who he is, is equipped to kind of handle what's taking place. I think the crime bill is definitely not a good piece of legislature by almost all standards, but it is important to remember the context of when that was written and kind of, you know, the Senate actually voted that. I think it was 100 to zero. They passed it wholesale across the board. It was a bipartisan piece of legislature. Unfortunately, at that time in 94, when that was passed, people really didn't understand drug addiction. This was, you know, the same decade where Oxycontin was being sold as not addictive. Um, And obviously, you know, (laughs) now, yeah, (laughs) surprise. Um, it takes, uh, 30 years, you know, it shouldn't have taken 30 years. It definitely, you know, by the early 2010s, we knew the impact of what it was to kind of have these mandatory minimums for a certain select, you know, a select group of crimes. And we've seen the negative impact of that. And I think Joe Biden is, has done a good job recognizing that. And, uh, you know, karma kind of came back and and hit him in a big way with these mandatory minimums for drug crimes. And then all of a sudden one of his sons is struggling with drug addiction. Yeah. And that's what I tend to actually, this is why I believe in Biden outside of that is because he, yeah, he is a 77 year old white guy who, uh, if he was doing the job alone as president, (laughs) I would feel terrible about the social justice movements. But what Biden has shown that he's capable of in his 47 years of office is continually building coalitions. You know, there is a reason that crime bill passed a hundred to zero. You don't hear about that happening too often outside of just like, you know, true memorial measures. And um, he's good at building coalitions and he's good at listening to the people that know what they're talking about. And that's why I think a Biden presidency is going to be really interesting is because he's going to install people in the positions where they do have the experience, you know, it's, he's not going to try to lead the pandemic charge himself without the advice of, you know, Fauci and his, uh, I think it's 19 person task force, some, something, some large yeah, task force. To fight and that, and that task force is stout. It's stacked. Exactly. It is your, uh, it's like the perfect fantasy draft of pandemic experts. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I, I, you know, he's going to do the exact same things for our other areas of government. I see too, is I don't think he's going to be the one necessarily coming up with deciding upon editing and, you know, pushing through his plans for uh, criminal justice reform as much as actually working with the leaders of the communities who have been most affected by it, starting to take a look at science and data points that we've ignored for far too long around addiction and how, rehabilitation can do so much more than incarceration for a lot of the issues that um, those facing drug addiction have. So I think in a way, yes, (laughs) Biden is severely out of touch, but he's very, very good at listening to those who are in touch and recognizing when he's out of touch. Um, And that's kind of my biggest hope is we start to transition away from the presidency being all about this one individual, the demagoguery. And change it back to, okay, the Biden presidential team, you know, he's listening to people. It's not a one-man show. He's making sure he's getting feedback on policy decisions from people who know what they're talking about. That's that's my biggest hope with it all. Because at the surface level, there's, there's a lot more self-reflection that needs to be done, um, in my opinion, with Biden. 
Yeah. Well, I think, you know, to your point in the, the teams around him, I think if he really truly wants to start bridging the gap and bringing this country back together, he better put some pretty good, solid, um, disagreeing Republicans around him. And he, he needs to, to bring some of that in. Otherwise, um, I don't see him bridging, bridging that gap. But I think as far as the social uh, reform goes or the social systemic racism that, that needs to be addressed and everything else, that's just that's one that I'm going to have to to really kind of hold my breath and and hope he addresses it correctly. Now, you brought up a, a point as well, and and this is kind of the last one before we we wrap it up. But um, you know, we talk about how progressive uh, Biden is going to be. Well, one thing that that a lot of people, although we just made history by putting the the first female first female black and um, is it Indian American. Yes. in there um she's pretty liberal herself according to uh to this and this might be a completely different episode i i don't know but yeah she, yeah she is going to be um lumped in with biden's progressive movement as his vice president so one of those those things out there this is probably the one i get get hit on the second most with conversations on people is uh she has the absolute number one most liberal voting record in the senate so how how is she going to play a role in biden's progressive presidency i think it always kind of cracks me up when people talk about Kamala Harris, uh, Kama- Kamala, yes, I said it right, um, being this like super liberal, progressive, like warrior when all you got to do is just look at her prosecution record during her time as uh, attorney general for the state of California. It is brutal. Um, it is, uh, it's not, I, I just don't. I just don't really understand where the worry that she's going to come out and um, end up being this like person who's just pushing through like the agenda of Bernie Sanders or the, uh, the agenda of AOC when she herself ran for president, like she was in the primary and there's a reason she didn't just get behind Bernie Sanders. Um, And it definitely wasn't because she thought she could carry out this progressive vision better than he could or else she would have tried to just actually campaign on that in the primary. So that's like my biggest issue of uh, kind of where things start to break down with the argument. And honestly, like a lot of people calling Kamala Harris the most liberal senator is from a lot of what she's done in these uh, hearings. Like, I don't think anybody will ever forget what, you know, how hard she drilled down on Kavanaugh. Yeah. Um, and that created, you know, this soundbite and this idea that she is super liberal and against all things conservative when, you know, that seems like a far, a long time ago at this point. But there was some serious concerns with the Kavanaugh hearing. Well, and I don't think she necessarily it, was out of her, out of her element doing what she did there. No, and, and let's keep in, keep in mind how government works. It, when you go into those hearings, there's one or two people that are tasked with being the bulldog and and it's done on purpose. It's a, it is a strategy where you alternate 
bulldogs versus soft approaches in order to get your uh, who you're you're targeting off kilter uh, to to get yeah. them, um, you know, dis disjointed to you know to kind of put it that way. But um, her job going into that Kavanaugh thing, if you look at everybody else, her job was to she was tasked with being the bulldog because that isn't. Mm-hmm. That isn't exactly something that I would say is common practice from her, although it set a tone and she somewhat has to live up to it. Um, but yeah, she was also yeah. being groomed. So the the records of her time as district and, uh, attorney, and then in Oakland, and then attorney general in California, and her time as a senator are vastly different. One is almost conservative and one is very liberal. And we're really just going to kind of have to wait and see what her ultimate, you know, plan is going to be, how she's going to roll things out. But I think the biggest reminder to anybody that's incredibly worried about, you know, the world, the United States looking like a socialist paradise in four years is that the wheels of bureaucracy and many times the wheels of democracy move at a staggeringly slow pace you know the kind of sweeping changes and reforms that we all want to see and are always the discussion of presidential elections cannot be carried out over four years without very very serious circumstances allowing them to do so and we're just in a position where we don't have a nation united enough behind a specific idea that there's going to be sweeping and incredible change moving forward i think I think we're going to things are going to get better. Pandemic's going to naturally start to wane. Vaccine development's going to be released. We're going to start to get back to normal. And will there be anything else past that? I'm not sure. But at the same time, as somebody who says this from a position of a, a lot of privilege, is I'm just looking forward to you know things getting back to normal, being able to go out and not fear about the virus and not fear about my parents and go and visit them more frequently and things like that past that i'd be surprised if we see an enormous amount of change over the next four years yeah i i agree with you and this is exactly why our government is set up the way that it's set up it's a checks and balances that keeps things um semi-level um you know trump i think just he doesn't follow in with the typical way that it's supposed the system is supposed to operate and that's why we we run into some of the problems that we have and he's such a outlandish speaker outside of the scope of the presidency that it causes a lot of issues and a lot of problems and and garners um emotional responses to one side or the other i think with with biden coming in um with a republican senate that's exactly why they're there and it's to make sure he doesn't go to too progressive. Um, and I, I think that he is going to fall. Like I said earlier, I think he's going to fall a little bit more center left because that's where the country needs him to be right now. Um, I would, I would hope that he would be able to get just pure center, but, um, you know, that is so, um, far reaching right now. And that's just not who he is either. I don't think we're going to have Biden for eight years. Um, And so I think what Biden's going to be is I think he's going to be that that presidential figure that gets us back into a calmer nature and tones down the rhetoric 
and starts trying to move things through the system that is already set up right or wrong about that system. Mm -hmm. He's the one that's going to be able to move things through. I mean, can you think of anybody that can move things through our political system better than, than Joe Biden? Exactly. Exactly. As he's, he's there to, you know, make the hard sacrifices and make the, make the deals that need to be made in order to kind of push aspects of this policy forward. And, uh, I think what we'll see a lot of is, and I think we should do an episode about his first 100 days and specifically, but we're going to see a ton of social change and, you know, we're going to see a lot of headlines about this and that, or, you know, access for different people to have different things. And I always just say the same thing to all of my friends and family who take issue with it is, does it actually affect your life? You know, Mm -hmm. and that's what I caution everybody to kind of think about is, things a lot of the successes that the trump administration touts from like moving the uh the embassy in jerusalem uh, to jerusalem is like i see a lot of christians in kansas like super excited about that and i don't quite get it because they definitely don't understand what that means or why it's a good or a bad thing they're just excited because trump was able to accomplish it and i think the left is going to have a lot of those moments too where they're going to get really excited about things that don't really have an impact on most people's lives in America. And that's where I think a lot of partisanship is coming from, is this idea that every single decision is going to affect you know, us in one way or the other, and we need to protect whatever the president does with honor. So I'm looking forward to the next four years of, I think the left is going to be a lot more critical of Joe Biden than the right has been of Donald Trump. And that's what I think will be healthy for our democracy. Yeah, well, I, I hope so. All right. Well, mm-hmm. if you like what you heard today and uh, want to share it and, and help others get to the middle, then definitely give us those reviews and, and let us know what your, your thoughts are. Look for us on uh, Facebook, Twitter. And uh, it doesn't matter if you're, you're leaning to the left or, or leaning to the right. We got to get back to the middle. And we will explore that common ground with you on the next episode.